Hey there, welcome back to the channel. It's Johnny speaking, and I'm super excited to be presenting the first episode of the Against the Current podcast, where I aim to talk to a multitude of business owners in a wide range of industries, talking about their struggles, how they deal with adversity on a day to day basis, and how they ultimately turn that in their favor. I also want to be talking about how they may have gone against conventional wisdom, but still made things work in their favor despite the circumstances. So with that said, I am super excited to be presenting the first guest of this podcast. I had the absolute pleasure of attending university with her and she now runs a successful family business up in Cullum, Oxford, United Kingdom, where she specializes in creating prosthetics for knee joint amputees. They have an absolutely fantastic range of knee joints called the VGK or very good knee, including a highly functional knee joint for children and it uses fluidics rather than electronics, meaning that there's no need to recharge them or carry cumbersome batteries. Their design is lightweight, affordable, and it allows users to scale stairs, run, walk, cycle, everything that you'd want a person to be able to do. So with that said, really excited to be kicking this one off and hopefully you guys enjoy this as much. All righty then, hello there, Jay. How are we doing this morning? I'm doing great, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Super excited. Uh, thanks so much for venturing to be the very first guest on this podcast. Things could get yeah. a little messy, but hopefully we'll uh, make this as entertaining and uh, noteworthy as possible. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, no, really excited for you to, to be here. I think your story in particular is one that is you know really, really interesting. Um, so yeah, really excited to be just diving into that as best as we can. So Jay, uh, why don't we kick things off by you know telling the listeners uh, about Orthomobility, VGK itself, uh, what you guys do, you know, how you guys do it, and why you guys rock in particular. Yeah, so um, Orthomobility is uh, my family's business uh, that I joined about three years ago, uh, and we make prosthetic knee joints for amputees. So these are people who have lost their leg um, through, through various means, um, but above the knee joint, so they need a prosthetic to replace the function of the knee. Um, so in the last sort of, we've, we've been going for about 10 years uh, now, we actually celebrated 10 years last year, it was quite exciting. Oh, congratulations, um, the last, amazing. Yeah. yeah, thanks, yeah, it was, uh, it was nice. I mean, it was, obviously everything was still kind of lockdown-y, so um, this yeah. year we got to celebrate a bit more, going to a trade show, showing off some more products. Um, but yeah, the last five to six years, we've really been specialising for amputee groups that don't have a necessarily as wide range of, uh, of options because there isn't really an average amputee. Um, and I think in the last five, six years, that's really been our speciality. These are like children and um, women as well, actually tend to be kind of underserved by a lot of products on the market. So that's um, what we're excited about. Amazing, yeah. And I know that in particular, you guys, your design is, is particularly interesting because whilst a lot of processes, for example, have been going down the sort of the electronic route, somehow you've managed to sort of increase and, you know, even surpass the usability of a lot of electronic uh, prosthetics. Uh, you don't use any sort of uh, batteries and there's, you know, no sort of uh, constant repair and recharging. Uh, was that always the intention or were you guys, you know, tell us about how that design actually came about or whether you uh, came across different ideas and had to pivot multiple times, whether you were dead set on that from the beginning? Mm, yeah, um, I think that the technology actually came second because the whole idea of this company was that the functionality of the knee joints in the NHS wasn't there. Now, my dad worked in the NHS um, as a clinician for about 15, 16 years, um, and he thought that the functionality of the knee joint was basically not good enough. And that was the starting point. It wasn't really the technology. 
Um, but the technology that we've ended up using is something called fluidics. And fluidics is using a, a fluid such as uh, oil um, to, and you guide it through very precision engineered channels and the behavior of the fluid uh, determines the behavior of, of the knee joints. But the this way of uh, controlling a knee joint, it is quite special in the industry and we're the only ones in the industry that make uh, these fluidic processor knees or FPKs. Um, and as you said, they don't need uh, batteries to function. And the other great thing about it is that they can really be miniaturized um, and also the weight can be reduced. And this is incredibly important for uh, certain amputee groups that I spoke about before, um, children and, and smaller adults as well. So they don't have to carry the long battery, the heavy batteries around with them uh, all the time. Yeah. Well, amazing. Yeah, no, I especially love the fact that you think about not just you know, the, you know the, the mass group of individuals, but also, you know, smaller groups, women as well as children in particular. I think those those sorts of groups are often marginalized, uh, not just in this industry, but across multiple different industries as well. So, yeah, absolutely yeah. love the fact that yeah. you guys um, yeah, thought about that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think that with prosthetics, it's necessarily obvious that um, women are underserved by a lot of products on the market. But I, I think it's because uh, it takes a lot of money, to be honest, <laughs> to get a medical device out into the market. So yeah. you do try to sort of catch as many uh, amputees as you can. Um, the first product it is uh, also a heavier, bulkier product, and that means that basically patients up to 125 kilos can use this knee joint. Um, but you do then start to realize by getting market feedback, like, oh, there are certain groups of people that are not using your product. And then you start to really think about why. And iterative development and, and user feedback is so important to our company. So I think because we've had our ear to the amputees all of this time, that's how we've been able to identify these niches in the first place. Yeah, and I guess because, uh, as I understand it, you know, both your parents are sort of in that uh, healthcare industry. I think your your, your father was a uh, was a physiotherapist or uh, specifically he was an a prosthetist. Yeah. Uh, so how did you guys? I guess you mentioned previously that you know there was a lot of you know when it comes to starting uh, or creating a prosthetics company, you know, there's a lot of upfront investment that's required. You know, how did you know your parents in particular actually make that sort of transition from you know being prosthetists or working directly with prosthetists to actually building a product that they could then serve back to their patients uh, what was the sort of route that they took i think it's quite an um it's a route that not many people take it's basically just organic growth and the growth has been relatively slow especially the first few years but i think that has given the company a very good foundation because uh, a lot of iterative development was done at, at the start. Now, once you start taking on uh, big loans from people or investors come in, you do start to run on a bit of a treadmill. And whereas that can be good for a, um, a number of reasons and they kind of keep you focused on those kinds of things, it is also important to be able to take the time to actually iterate. And so uh, my parents got a small grant from the NHS um, at the very beginning, but really it was just on their own steam. Um, my mum was working kind of all the time while my dad was designing and also doing some locum shifts. Um, I remember this whole company sort of being around while I was growing up and there were amputees kind of every week trying out uh, knee, the knee joints. And Amazing. it doesn't always go well, you know? It's uh, some things they just don't work and then you have to redesign. And I think my parents have been fantastic at picking themselves up again whenever it, something went wrong. And what ended up happening is they got a product that was really well received uh, by amputees at the end. 
but yeah it's been, it's been uh, it's been organic growth yeah i think uh what you mentioned there about the organic growth side of things is uh, particularly personal because i think a lot of people assume that to get something going you have to have huge amounts of capital and investment and that you know there's absolutely no way that you can just start off with some sort of small loan uh, and it's also worth noting that as there's a saying that goes around that sometimes you know the companies that grow the fastest also perish the fastest so i think in some ways it's actually been beneficial to your growth to have gone uh, taken the the long slow route really listen to your customers clearly you know with all those people coming in back and forth uh, you must have been able to get some really really good feedback and clearly you know just judging by the stunning reviews that i've seen across your website and uh, across the press uh, it's really really served you well um I yeah, think it's um, it's interesting what you said about the uh, uh, companies that grow the fastest, so you can also like, fail the fastest. I think that is also definitely a strategy in startups. You just want to make sure that you, if you fail, you're going to fail within like two years. You know, perhaps. And, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Uh, I think I think you know that's definitely sort of one one way of doing it. I think that my parents didn't come uh, to this whole industry with that kind of startup mentality, and maybe right. uh, maybe the age that they were, they also they wanted something that really was going to succeed. If you're kind of in your twenties and you can fail five times, you know, I think America yeah, is fantastic at being able to fail and and pick yourself up again, and the the market and investors will still want to fund you, and I think that's a fantastic thing. It's just uh, what we do, which is very different. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's no, there's no one correct way to do things. I think it's one of the, the main things I want to get across in these various sort of uh, episodes where, where I talk to people is that, you know, there's a various bunch of different ways and every single method can work. It just depends on individual circumstances, I suppose. Um, so we've talked a little bit about your parents and, and how they actually got started. But, you know, I think it'd be nice to actually come back and, and touch on, you know, how you know, you've come into the company, right? Because as I understand it, you know, as you graduated, you didn't decide to go straight to your parents' company. You took a little bit of a detour and eventually made your way back. So, you know, what is it that, you know, made you decide to join um, and why, I suppose? Uh, why did you decide to not join at first and then come back? I know some people, for example, might be turned off by the idea of, you know, working with their parents, you know, it can be an interesting dynamic. So yeah, walk me through kind of what your decision process was in that, in that whole thing. Oh yeah, like, yeah, the thing about uh, not wanting to work with your parents, I hear that all the time. It's one of the first things that people say to me, oh, you're working with parents, oh, I could never do that. Um, and yeah, the, you know, there are, there yeah. are ups and there are downs. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think, I knew sort of to at the back of my head that I was probably going to join it someday. But there's a difference between something being uh, something you're eventually going to do or the actual thing that you want to do. Um, and I think what's sometimes hard about uh, sort of growing up with this company all around you is that it can seem really interesting, but you don't know if you're actually interested in it or, or if it's just because it's familiar. Right. And I don't think, I didn't want to pick something just because it was familiar. And so that's why I did take that detour. Um, I worked as a software engineer for a year and that taught me a lot. And I think it was a very good experience to be outside of my parents' company. Um, I think eventually, I think just the philosophy of the company is just what drew me to it. And right. the I, I knew I wasn't just going to be doing one thing. I do like quite a lot of variety. Um, and I think that's also um, my skill set is I've got quite a strong engineering background, having gone to Imperial, done a master's there. Um, but also there are the, the softer skills, which I've also been interested in. And I'm quite a creative person. I, I like having all yeah. of these kind of hobbies and stuff. And um, 
Yeah, I, th I think eventually what it was for me, like being a software engineer was fantastic, but I, I kind of want to do a bit of everything. And, um, you know, being being a leader in a company, that is what you can do. So, yeah, it's, it's worked Absolutely. out really well. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, having also obviously gone to, gone to university with you, I got to see, you know, that, that broad set of skills. Uh, and I always thought, yeah, you know, definitely it probably suited you better to be able to leverage all of that as opposed to kind of being confined into one sort of environment. Um, but obviously, I, I feel like, you know, as someone who's now kind of uh, going independent as well, you know, having a lot of different tasks, doing a lot of different activities from sales to operations to then, you know, service or product uh, improvement and delivery. Uh, how do you personally find, uh, you know, the, the juggling the, the responsibilities? Do you ever find it ever gets a little bit overwhelming? And, you know, how do you actually end up dealing with that? Because I'm, I'm curious how different people actually uh, approach this. Yeah, I, th I think people, we're quite similar in that way that we, we try to do maybe one specialized thing and it's like a, a, a force of gravity that pulls you towards doing more things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and <laughs> you can kind of feel like you're, you're not particularly good at any one thing. Um, and I think you need to kind of recognize that actually knowing a little bit about everything is going to be good in the long run. And um, a lot of it is also just going to be experience. Um, and I think one of the fantastic things about working with my parents is that I'm, I'm able to draw on their experience that is so specific to uh, my career because there's nothing more specific than your parents giving you advice about the exact company that you're trying to trying to run one day. So um, I think I've had I had a lot of support there. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's, it's a struggle. Um, I, I yeah. do. I, I would love to be, you know, uh, very very good at absolutely everything and I'm a bit of a perfectionist and I, yeah. I think one of the things that I'm really trying to work on is, is letting go a little bit more um, sure. and, and just just letting things be and just trusting that doing a bit of everything is kind of what you have to do um, and I'm, I'm sure I think you find that as well how you get like pulled into uh, all sorts of things even though you try absolutely. to specialize yeah, especially when you're sort of as you find, you know, as you go higher up or if you're in a position where you're kind of managing things, it definitely gets a little bit difficult to only confine yourself to one position, I find. Uh, and it kind of makes you wonder, you know, this whole argument about being a generalist versus specialist. I think, you know, sometimes if you're in a sort of management position, sometimes you almost are somewhat forced to become a generalist in some ways obviously you know you do want to have some sort of specialties and I think the term that people use these days is, is generally t-shaped for example where you you know a lot about different things but you are quite specialized in you know particular industries and I guess in, in your case you know you have all these sorts of softer skills but then you also have you know very good technical skills you know with your with your masters in, in engineering for example um, and I think that that really helps out I think um, there is uh, it, it's dangerous to say terms like you know always and never uh, in that sense and I think sometimes there are situations where being a generalist actually comes in handy and um, you know being a specialist comes in handy in, in other situations and it's not necessarily that oh one is particularly better than the other it's just about you know what's what's needed for the role and I think it's uh, you found a really good fit here uh, with your skill set coming into that sort of management position yeah, but then also yeah. just being able to dive into the technical stuff if you need it just get your hands dirty as well Absolutely, absolutely. And I think you've got to nurture that curiosity as well. I, I don't think it's a bad thing um, if you feel yourself being drawn into more things. I mean, obviously, there comes a point where you're just getting yeah. distracted. But For sure, um, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's a judgment it's that's difficult, balance, isn't, it? isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's that balance. And uh, speaking of balance, then, you know, how do you feel you, you balance sort of the family side of things and, and work when, you know, you guys are 
both working together and then you come to a dinner table uh, do you find at least a conflict or do you find that it's times that it actually helps you guys you know how do you uh, find both sides of that i suppose Cause obviously there's probably going to be pros and, and cons to that as well yeah it's very easy always to talk about work um it's uh work and life is definitely uh, <laughs> blended into one um, I I find that make you need to make a conscious effort and right. it's not so much saying do not talk about work it's what other things can you can you talk about because oh, I think everybody's had that I um, has had that experience of when somebody tells you not to do something that's all that you want to do um, yes, but actually absolutely. yeah making making a conscious effort to do something different and yeah. I think you know we as as a family like we really like going for walks and I think going for walks is a fantastic mm. way to really um, not not talk about work or talk about work in a different way we talk about the details See. of work all the time but actually talking about work from a bird's eye point of view when you can be a bit more optimistic um, then you can have some really nice conversations about the future without being too stressed about it um, yeah. and I think making making the time to do those things uh, consciously is really how you keep the balance yeah, I love that idea that it's not just about, yeah, you know, I, I almost in my head, and I'm sure some other people have this idea of just you are sitting down, it's like, we're not allowed to talk about work, but it's almost like, you know, trying to, you know, when a teacher tells you don't laugh in a classroom, it just makes you want to want Absolutely, to laugh more. So yeah. I love that. Yeah, exactly. So I love that you've sort of taken that approach. And uh, yeah, I think that's uh, a lot of people can, can take that away if they ever find themselves, you know, um, trying to constrain themselves too much. Maybe having some sort of distraction can actually help out even more. Um, so yeah, no, thanks a lot for that. That's, uh, that's yeah, really, and just really get out of thought. the environment. Get out of the environment that you're usually in. I think that's why you know going for a walk is just, just out in nature is just so fantastic um, because everything around you kind of visually reminds you about work if you're kind of still in the workplace and especially if you come home and you're still talking about work, you just need to be somewhere different. Yeah, you have to switch up at some point, otherwise you just uh, yeah, you know that, that's where that's when you reach the sort of burnout zone as well, isn't it? So. Definitely not a place we want to want to take ourselves, I suppose. Um, so yeah, I know you mentioned uh, you you know like to go on walks and you like to talk about things with the you know, about the future, you know, without feeling too stressed about it. Uh, what like sort of plans or, or goals, I suppose, uh, do you have for Orthomobility VGK going forward? Uh, I know you guys have come out with a children's range. You want to expand upon that. You know, what sort of direction are you guys thinking about uh, taking things? You know, now that you've reached this this really exciting point of the company. Um, I think recently I've been reflecting on what what we do and what our ambition is. And I think noting down what the mission of the company is came slightly after the, the products that we actually made. So we made a bunch of products mm. and then I thought about it and then I thought actually the philosophy of this company and, and what is actually already deep within us is that we want to make very valuable products even if it is for a small group of people. Um, and right. with some markets, we've kind of happily found that what we thought was a small market was actually um, bigger because when you give people something that suits them very well, then they yeah. will actually come out and, um, and support you. But I think we're going to continue doing those things and we are not deterred by small markets. Um, and, and small right. groups because I, I think because we don't have a whole uh, bunch of investors behind us um, it's, it's really up to us and, and that's what we like to do but, but the goal really is to make our technology um, well known I think one of the things we struggled with is to actually be properly recognised in the industry for uh, the technology that we have um, and that is because 
people will look at the knee joint and think, oh, there's no electronics in it, therefore it's just a mechanical knee joint and that's that. Um, it's the control system that is really important. And, and really the technology doesn't matter, um, but the, the fluidics uh, that, that we have used, it took us a very long time to get recognized in the industry and we're still kind of struggling. And in medical devices, it comes to reimbursement structures as well. At the end of the day, that is how you're going to get paid. Um, and that is why the the uh, recognition in the industry is so important. And, and we're hoping that by ch uh, having a children's knee that is just really brings state of the art functionality um, to to children, um, that that will help um, because these products, this product is so obviously good for for children that I think there's there's no way to shy away from that now. The technology is there. Yeah, that's incredible. And I, I love the fact that you are you know even if i think some people there's always this sort of battle between oh you know how far should one narrow down obviously you know the common sort of general business advice is that you should always go after some kind of niche right some some sort of vertical some sort of small group of people uh, but of course you know there's a, a limit to that as well right obviously if you go down too small then you might not have enough people to serve and it might not become a viable business model but i absolutely love the fact that you know you've got this vision and uh, it's really interesting to me that you for you guys you had the mission come quite you know at a mature state uh, almost a mature stage in your company but i think that, that that can be quite normal and of course a mission can always change and it's very interesting that it almost feels like you guys had this uh, you guys were creating products and you had the sort of the vision and the mission in your head but you just hadn't quite formalized it and actually written it down so i think it's really interesting that you decided hang on a sec what actually is our mission and just kind of regroup here and just properly think about it to then yeah. make a decision on which direction they're actually going to go in so i think that's um, but i, I think yeah. it's part of the organic growth i think when something grows organically it's not really something that you meticulously plan because it's happening kind of slowly and the philosophy that you have comes out of yourself right. now i think my my parents have brought this business from nothing to uh, what the business that it is now and it serves uh, hundreds of amputees around around the world um, but we've got to take it forward and I think in order to do that we do need to do um, more of that planning I don't think it can be retrospective uh, kind of forever um, <laughs> sure. but I, it was it was a really interesting moment when we had because we've got four products now it's not just uh, one product like it was uh, true, five yeah. six years ago and then you start to look at it and you think oh what do these products have in common well they are for mm. for smaller groups of amputees and I think one of the products that we are most proud of is the uh, the product that is especially for amputees with a very short uh, residual limb because the the length of the residual limb really matters to the amputee experience and we have had we, we've got friends um, that have short uh, short residual limbs and they end up preferring just a a sort of cheaper lightweight knee joint that they can actually just carry around with the small amount of muscle that they've got left all day rather than taking something that is high functional but also heavy and so that idea um, was really really powerful that actually the, the weight matters so much when when the length of the residual limb becomes short um, and so we've made a product especially for them and we find that so so many people really like that product that's incredible yeah and uh, this goes back again to you guys just just sitting there actually just listening to the people that are actually using your products you know i think uh, a lot of 
uh, perhaps other manufacturers or other players in the market might have assumed that, oh, you know, more features, more gizmos, more electronics, you know, more fluid sort of functionality would have actually um, been better, even if it came out, you know, in their view, a small cost of, of heaviness and cumbersomeness. But I think, you know, you guys actually sitting down, actually properly listening and also just even looking back at all your products and, and figuring out, you know, what's a content I think is, um, is, is really good. And I think, you know, by having that, you know, super focused effort towards those marginalized group of people, it just, it, you know, again, it goes back to the whole idea of, um, you know, niching down, right? Uh, as they say, you know, also very cheesily, the, the rich are almost in, in the niches, right? Obviously, you know, it's not all about the rich, of course, but, you know, it's, uh, I think it's really good that you have spoken specifically to that target group of individuals, because, you know, if, they, if you've been underserved, by um, you know providers for for a long time, and you feel like your needs haven't been met, and then suddenly you know a company like yours comes along and says, "Hey, you know we have something specifically for short stump." I mean, that's as, as about as specific as it can get. And uh, even if you know, um, not that's the case with you, but you know, even if uh, the the product isn't quite you know where where it could be, for example, um, then you know just be, just by the pure fact that you know you understand them, I think it just goes such a long way. Um, I think it's, it's really incredible that you guys have decided to do that. So, yeah. Um, so that's amazing um so with that said uh i was wondering if you know you've spoken a lot about sort of goals obviously there's this constraint right so sometimes you know obviously you don't have investors right but let's say you were given a sort of a, a no strings attached investment say one million pound investment uh, but it has to be purely used for the company so no sort of fancy private jets or anything like that um <laughs> how would you use those funds and i suppose why i guess yeah um, yeah, that's a that's a good question. It's uh, I I think the first first things first. We want to upscale our manufacturing, and I think um, have having uh, more premises and specifically when it comes to manufacturing, I think you want to separate out the systematic work, the, the work that is inherently systematic from the work that's inherently chaotic. And what I mean by that is that we get a lot of parts in, we need to inspect them, um, that is all kind of systematic and then it goes into an assembly. Now, all of that work can be done in a systematic way. We've got the other side of the business, which is dealing with services and repairs um, of knee joints and that is inherently chaotic because you don't know Absolutely. what when something is going to come in. You try to turn it around as fast as uh, fast um, as reasonably possible, um, and you, you also don't know what needs to be replaced. And having those two elements close by, the, the chaos will always win. Um, yeah. and that's <laughs> that's yeah. why like physically separating them would be great and of course like you do just need um, yeah. money for that to like, build up new premises um, I think something more ambitious and, and more about the with the philosophy of the company is that I think I would want to work with universities to get some research mm. done about more of these niche amputee groups um, now the, the short stump amputee, um, you mentioned that it's, it's something that people wouldn't really think about. And it's also, it's underreported. If you look at the statistics, is you will get um, maybe statistics about how many patients are amputated below, uh, below the knee or above the knee, but there is a discrepancy there above the knee. If you are amputated very close to the knee joint, you've got a long residual limb left. That is a completely different amputation than if you've got about 10 or 12 centimeters left. Um, I think that that research, of course, it, it needs to be uh, funded. Um, yeah. And I think I would want to work with uh, universities to really understand the needs of the amputee because we've been doing it anecdotally. Um, right. And I think that the, the industry 
um, owes it to amputees to really understand their needs better. And I think academia owes it to amputees to really look into this. And I think that having having a big investment, I think that is really what I put it in. Yeah, it's amazing. I think that kind of uh, ties back to your sort of philosophy, you know, continually thinking about the customer, what their needs are first before, you know, thinking about any sort of further scale. Obviously, you know, you have the, the manufacturing side of things as well. But then, you know, I love the fact that you you are always continuing to remember, hang on a sec, you know, we have to take care of the people that are you know, ultimately take, taking care of us as well. Right. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely love the fact that you guys are you know, thinking about the sort of research side of things. And I really do hope that you manage to get some more universities on your side, because, you know, as you said, there's sort of anecdotal evidence, but there's nothing that can be, I mean, we both went to engineering university, there's nothing that really beats that sort of hard core evidence data that says, you know, here's the problem, you know, here's what we can do in the future to actually solve that. So I think that's, uh, that's incredible. Yeah, um, well, we, we had a, it's quite a long time ago now, but in, in 2013, we had a fantastic study done by the University of Munster in Germany, and they actually compared our knee joint to a lot of the electronically controlled knee joints, um, which uh, were held as like the gold standard. And that study found that uh, our VGK had an equal value spectrum of functionality. And wow. we we would <laughs> we we would love to That's have more, more well. studies actually l- look into this more. And because it yeah. was a recognition of that a a well controlled knee joint doesn't just have to be electronically controlled. It can also be a um, a fluidic process in knee like the ones that we make. Um, and that was very very important. But I think. Uh, when you really think about academic research questions, it's what does the length of the residual limb, does that have right. a bearing on the amputee experience? And also does uh, the weight of, of the knee joint, uh, does does that matter for how um, how big an amputee, or how, uh, sorry, how tall or how short an amputee is? Um, and what are the needs also of, of women? Because women, they have got, um, in general now I'm speaking, they've got a different body composition to men and they tend to have um, more or fat tissue around their stump. And that basically means that if you've got, so it, just going a little bit back to um, how yeah. the prosthesis is actually attached. So the prosthesis um, in a lot of cases um, is attached with a socket and it's basically sort of a hard resin cup that goes around the residual limb. Now, that is not a perfect connection between the bone um, right. and the prosthesis because you've got, you've got the skin in the way, you've got the fat in the way. And the softer that your residual limb is, the harder it's going to be to move the knee joint because you've got to actually compress that soft tissue before you can right. start to move the knee joint. And it's very painful as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it can be, yeah, exactly. It can be quite painful to move and, and the skin is moving all the time. The skin is also being stretched a lot more. So you lose mm. a lot of the proprioception in the skin um, because it's just being overly stretched. And um, what we think happens with uh, women is that women tend to have more fat in their um in inside the socket so the connection isn't quite as rigid and if you then have a really bulky uh, heavy knee joint at the end of that then you're going to have to carry a lot of weight with right. a bad connection now we don't want to blame we don't want to blame the body of the amputee because the body of the amputee is not at fault right yeah, it's not like you can change that either have, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and but the prosthetics have got to actually match the realistic situation. Now, what can you do? You can reduce the weight. 
and we've been right. able to reduce the weight by using a fluidic technology which doesn't need the mm. the batteries which which are quite heavy um and we've been able to really minimize the weight of the knee joint and that is what makes it valuable um in general for women yeah no absolutely and uh, i think it's really interesting that uh, with, the, with the research as well uh, one thing that i could see that playing into is you know using that research again to then kind of feed back into the messaging so you can get it out to more people because i can imagine that there are probably still thousands of people who would actually technically be a better fit for your product say uh, however they just don't know about it because just you know one of the things that presumably these people are going to be looking into when they make a decision on which uh, process they're going to be choosing is you know the research as well and you know how well known it is and i think it'd be great for you guys to you know have that sort of research as a backing not just to improve the product but then to then educate other people and say like look this is a you know a third party study that says you know this is an option for you guys as well at the very least give it a try because you know you've seen anecdotally how much of a difference it makes to you know reduce that weight um, and have you know not so much weight being blasted up through some some soft soft tissue so yeah it'd be great to kind of get more of that research so that you know more people can understand uh, not just anecdotally but just you know with hard numbers and facts you know that this could be a better option for them um, so yeah uh, and at the end of the guys. day um, yeah. healthcare policies in a lot of different countries they are based on science as they should be um, Absolutely. And so you want to really get that evidence into a sort of a third party where, where you're not involved in the research itself. But um, that that is we are looking to have more research that looks at the needs of of female amputees that look at the needs of children to look at the needs of short stump amputees. Those three groups, um, they, they are underrepresented in the research at the moment. Yeah. And I think it's really great that you guys are so hell bent on getting a sort of research um you know in there because you know i feel like you know a lot of so especially you know some big pharma companies for example that i won't name they'll do whatever they can to kind of manipulate the data to kind of suggest that their product is, is still valid when in reality it isn't i'm sure you know with the philosophy that you guys have if it turned out that the research showed that you know, there's a part of your knee joint that was perhaps ineffective you'd you know go back and re-engineer it to you know further improve the product so i think you know that that research would go a long way for reserving those uh, underserved people in that market so yeah absolutely it's a super important thing you know, don't want to be designing things that don't have any sort of uh, scientific backing behind them that would be yeah. a bad place to go for sure yeah we are um, scientists after all exactly right <laughs> even if we're, we're managing things yeah still got to get that science correct uh, so um i think we're going to start wrapping up now so what i thought i'd do is i just have a, a quick couple of uh, rapid fire questions just um, outside of you know your, your immediate work i thought you know since we're on technically like a podcast slash interview situation uh and i know you've been a big fan of podcasts in general like what are some of the the top podcasts of 2020 or even in general you know, even before 2022 that's you know had a huge impact on you not just in your professional but even in your your personal life yeah i'm uh, definitely a big fan of podcasts i do uh, a lot of traveling in the car and they're uh, very comforting uh, i think and it's also just it's, it's nice just to be able to put on a 45 minute podcast instead of having to decide what playlist you're going to listen to um, yeah, yeah I, uh, I listened to a podcast called uh, Not Overthinking, which is done by uh, mm. two brothers. One of them is a, a YouTuber. The other one's uh, an entrepreneur. Um, right. And I find, what I find really interesting about them is that they're kind of like, they're a little bit tech bro, um, but they also, <laughs> it's like half tech bro, half philosophy. I know. So it's 
it's like it's very very different from uh, the company that I'm in um, but I think what's interesting is that they do think about what their approach to life is and the whole sort of life blending into business I think that mm. is really a part of their lives and I think that's why I, I kind of identify with it um, and yeah I think I, there have been so many good insights just by listening to them just kind of chat um that yeah that i think that's like definitely uh, a good one and that, that's like a conversational um yeah. podcast topics about all kinds of different things so you'll probably find something Amazing. that is interesting um yeah. yeah another podcast i've been listening to recently i mean this is quite quite an oldie but it's the startup podcast um by gimlet right. media um and this is looking at startups in in particular and they often focus on, on startups that are going through uh, problems. And I think you learn a lot from people mm, going through some really sort of rough times. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just how people deal with it in their personal life and also in their in their business right. life. It's just really, really intriguing. Yeah, because sometimes you see the sort of the, the glamorous side of, of startups and, you know, the, the massive successes that they've had and the, the impact that they've had on the world. But then you forget behind that is this entire, you know, below the, the iceberg level, I don't know, the phrase escapes me, but you know, you know what I mean, right? Yeah, you know, the, the the behind the curtain, the stuff that you don't see, I yeah. think, is uh, what um, is is really interesting to me, and it's some of the topics that I, I'd really like to, to touch on with with other founders, you know, and uh, managers uh, similar to yourself as well. Are there any sort of you know uh, top any ideas or quotes that kind of stuck out with you from some of those podcasts, or you know, from any other sources that have kind of really helped you in in twenty twenty two that you'd like to share? Mm. Um. Yeah, I think that the the mission of your company and, and the what you're doing on a grand scale that is that is really important. But I think right. when you're thinking about starting starting a business, um, especially like if it's going to be a, like a small business for a while, you need to think yeah. about the day to day. And the way yeah. that I like to think about it is. Um, if you've got a hobby, which might be um, sort of gardening, or it might be looking after your house plants, or it might be, I don't know, if, you're, if your parents have like a swimming pool in their garden or something like that, all of these types of hobbies, they're going to need maintenance. And now you can think about how fantastic it would be if I would be able to like swim in my own swimming pool, or how fantastic right. it would be if I had plants absolutely everywhere, yeah, right? Yeah, dream life. The, those, that is the mission. But you've got to think about the day-to-day, -day, because day-to-day -day you're going to be looking at all of your house plants making sure they've got uh, enough water and some oh, yeah. people they just don't take very well to that so you might think mm. oh it would be fantastic to have a swimming pool but actually yeah. I don't want to be fishing leaves out of the swimming pool every summer you know yeah, so and true. so yeah. you I think the this same thing applies to a business now I think it's fantastic to work with amputees um, and, but when day to day I am in manufacturing <laughs> and I'm in yeah. quality inspection and all of those things and I have to be able to not just tolerate those things but actually find interest in those things in order to continue because most yeah. of the time you're not going to be standing at a trade show with, um, with you know, amputees around you and showing off the product. You're going to be you know, behind the computer work, do, doing the hard graft or in the yeah. workshop doing the hard graft. So yeah, um, I think keeping both in mind, um, that's yeah. something I've been thinking about recently. For sure, yeah, it, it, that's one of those things, especially for, for business that you have to keep, keep in mind because you're always constantly having to both look up ahead 
um, and also look down at you know what you're currently doing because you can't get to that sort of end goal without you know doing what's in front of you right now right there and then and I think it's that sort of disparity between you know the, the very fun stuff you know like running the trade shows and then like getting down behind the hard graft and you know from the outside looking in it might look like oh you know this is this is really cool this, this looks really fun and then when you actually get into it you know you might find it's a little bit different so I think yeah it's super important to consider both you know the you know the the outcome that you want but also you know whether it suits your sort of sort of day-to-day so yeah that's a super profound yeah that's a really I good point I think you've got to Thanks find moments that. to actually if, if I think it's easier to focus on the detail than it is on the big picture in general um and mm, so you've got to make opportunities for yourself also to um look at the big picture I like doing something like this podcast is fantastic because I get to think about um, yes. the business in in the big detail and not just like all the the tiny little things yeah absolutely yeah because sometimes you can get so again like you know you can take it too far the other way and you can get so bogged down by the detail you just look up one day and you're totally in a different place to where you imagined yourself being and you just think oh hang on a second how do, how do I get here so um yeah really strange so uh yeah no, absolutely it's just that, that again so it's all about that sort of difficult balance and that judgment of like you know am I too far in the weeds or you know am I maybe taking too long uh, only looking at the big picture for example because you you definitely need both I believe um so yeah, I think to finish off then, how about uh, any sort of advice perhaps that you'd give to yourself when you started working at your, your current company, um, anything that you would take away, or maybe it's a, a younger version of you or someone in a similar position to you perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think this is going to be a bit of a cliche one. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's fine. Go for it. Absolutely. No. Like, yeah, Some of um, the best stuff is cliche. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's just uh, really understanding that you are going to make mistakes. It's just going to happen. Sure. And in fact, if you are not making mistakes, then I think you're doing something wrong. Um, and it's one thing saying that, but you really need to experience it, I think, for as sure, well. Yeah. Um, no, I I, I've been doing um, a lot of the sort of assembly myself just to like learn what that is like um, and filling the gaps when it is needed and sometimes you do something that doesn't quite work out and then you need to repair it and that can right. feel so personal at first but uh, it's, it's actually something that when when you are you know working with hundreds of knee joints a year yeah it is Stacks going up, to happen doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. there are too many things you can't control at all it's true. um uh, and I think the important thing is your attitude towards mistakes, um, that you actually, that you don't sort of sit and pity yourself too much, is that you think, yeah. right, what do I need to do next? Um, so I think that would be one piece of advice that I would definitely give uh, myself personally. I, I'm definitely a perfectionist, so. Yeah, I know, yeah. likewise, I think, uh, especially, you know, coming from like a sort of academic background, you know, you're sort of especially rewarded for getting things right the first time and getting the answer correct, even in school. I think the education system, not to blame it, of course, you know, there's no perfect education system, but, you know, I think there is something to be said about, you know, the way that we're brought up. It's like, you know, if you make the wrong decision, for example, or if you make a mistake, it's just catastrophic. And I think, uh, me especially, I I have to kind of retrain myself on a day-to-day basis say actually these mistakes are normal they're part of the process and they're just necessary and completely unavoidable um so yeah definitely yeah that's one i'll probably have to write up on my wall somewhere because you know it's, it's very easy to to say this to yourself right but then like you said it's like actually internalizing that in your own mind and saying like it's okay this is you know this is bound to happen what are the things we can learn and how can we move on from this rather than you know as i typically tend to do just sit in a corner and go oh my gosh this is the worst thing like how could i let this happen and just kind of go in this horrific spiral so yeah no i think that that advice you know definitely um yeah if it applies to you definitely applies i, to I think well, here so it's really um that, it's, yeah. 
Um, I think it's really helped actually being in a family business. I think there's a whole nother dimension to the sort mm-hmm. of parent-child relationship that you get that I get to explore, um, which is a massive perk. And I think just the experience yeah. that my parents have um, and we're in this industry and they're definitely able to to, to weather things um, if stuff does sort of yeah. go wrong. Um, and we've had, you know, I think all manufacturing has had a terrible last sort of two, three years just being hit oh, over yeah. and over again <laughs> with crises. It doesn't so, stop, yeah. Yeah, and, and you need to just pick yourself up again. And I think that's where their experience mm. uh, really helps. And um, luckily we do have this quite good handover period now where we're both working in the business is not just being sort of handed to us immediately. So right. um, we're doing a lot of, of hard work to learn how to actually run it properly. Um, and Absolutely. yeah, that experience has been invaluable. Amazing. Well, yeah, no, I'm so glad to hear that. And I'm sure you guys will continue to, to thrive and grow, uh, make a couple of mistakes and continue to, to improve yourselves uh, as you know any, any business should, no matter the size. So yeah, uh, I think that uh, you know, it's a good place to, to pause here. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it, Jay. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's been great you know, going to university with you and seeing you, you know, where you are, you know, running the company. Um, that's doing some fantastic work. So yeah, thanks so much for your insights, for your time. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll catch up again some other time. Fantastic. Yeah, see you soon. Thanks. Yeah. Wait, 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 before you go, I completely forgot to mention that if you want to find out more about Jay and the family's company, you can just head over to verygoodknee.com. It's exactly as it sounds like in plain English, where you'll be able to find the latest information on how to get a hold of the latest products in the VGK range. Also remember to leave a description in the various platforms that this is proliferated on. And if you are a small startup or a small to medium sized enterprise looking to grow through marketing, uh, I'll leave links to how you can get a hold of myself or my team, where we'll give you a tailored growth strategy for long-term growth. And last but not least, thank you so much if you've stayed all the way to the end. It really, really means a lot to me and really look forward to seeing you guys in the next one. Appreciate it.